With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the 50th episode of my show. Truly a milestone for me. And I want to take this time to say thank you so much to my producer and all of my sound engineers for all your support throughout all of these shows. I truly thank you and appreciate you. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues. And I also provide worldwide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, PodToppin, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And, of course, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you'll be notified just as soon as every new show is available. I sincerely appreciate all of you worldwide who tune in. You know, I say this every time, but I sincerely mean it. I just... uh, I'm so interested and love seeing where people are tuning in from. And this week, I welcome a large number of new listeners uh, this past week from Romania, from Myanmar, from South Africa, and from Germany. Plus, there were 11 other new countries this past week. So welcome to you all. And in the U.S., a huge welcome to over 2,000 new listeners. I really do appreciate you tuning in. Now, if any of you are interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my show, please also get in touch with me. And if you need help with information security or privacy, let me know that as well. And keep all your feedback and questions coming in. I truly do love getting all of them. My January Privacy Professor Tips message was published on December 28th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please sign up for them. You know, I've been providing them for free since 2007, and this is my effort to increase general awareness of information security and privacy issues, as well as to provide a free awareness publication that organizations can use to send to their employees to help raise their employees' awareness. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. Now for my tip for this week. You know, this month, January, is when Data Privacy Day took place on January 28th. So 
Because of this, I'm going to give you two tips for today, and they are both related to a huge hack and resulting privacy breach that was reported this month in January. Now, you may have heard the news that a security flaw in a really hugely popular online game called Fortnite exposed more than 200 million Fortnite players to being hacked and even secretly recorded during the times that they were playing that online game. You know, hackers took advantage of an unsecured web page from 2004 that was created by Fortnite's developer, Epic Games. They used that old web page to send phishing links to the Fortnite users, and it appeared um, to be coming from Epic Games. And if the users that got those messages clicked on the link, the hackers would then gain full access to their accounts, even without any login information. And once, of course, they had access to their accounts, they had access to everything within that account. This is at least the second major security breach found in Fortnite within a six-month time period. In August of 2018, Google researchers discovered that Android users could be tricked into installing a fake version of Fortnite. So here are my two tips for this week related to this. First, be very aware of phishing attempts. Never click on links sent to you in emails, text messages, through social media sites, in in chat messages and so on from senders that you don't know or from entities such as an online game company that you did not expect to receive. If it looks like something you may need to actually take action for, then use your phone to make an actual voice phone call to the sender and say, hey, I got this message. Is this legitimate? You know, find out for sure if they were the ones that truly sent the message. And then second, when you are using online game sites and and any online sites for that matter, use two-factor authentication and make sure that the password you use is complex, meaning it's as long as possible and you're using upper and lowercase characters along with numerals and special characters. And do not, do not use the same passwords on your online game sites as you use for other sites. In the Fortnite breach, if you use the same password there as you used at other sites, then the hackers could very well use that Fortnite password. Because remember, they got access into the account, so that was something they had access to. They would say, hmm, look at this password that all these uh, users have. I bet they'll work at other sites. And you know what? A lot of people use the same passwords at other sites, so don't do that. Um, The two-factor requirement would also eliminate the ability for hackers to simply use just a password to get into the sites. With that second requirement, that would stop a lot of those hackers from getting in. So, on to our topic for today. Medical cannabis is now legal in 33 U.S. states and Washington, D.C., 
10 U.S. states allow legalized sale of recreational marijuana. Now, these numbers are projected to increase dramatically in 2019. Many businesses in this industry offer customers and patients the ability to make purchases online or through a mobile app. And when you're actually in their physical stores, most of them use point-of-sale systems for their dispensaries, and they maintain their data, oftentimes, in cloud-based software-as-a-service platforms. Most of the point-of-sale systems actually automatically report to the state's compliance tracking systems. And oftentimes, too, these businesses' uh, daily sales are then uploaded automatically to the state's database, and that's to meet compliance requirements for those states. Now, most people... Using medical cannabis dispensaries and uh, the legal marijuana stores, they assume that their personal information is safe in marijuana stores and the cannabis dispensaries. And many also believe if they pay in cash, then there will be no record of their purchases. Now, these are invalid beliefs. Many risks exist to the security and privacy of those purchasing any type of marijuana when strong security and privacy controls have not been implemented. That's why it's so important to have those controls implemented. Many breaches have already occurred. So let me just quickly give you a few examples from the past couple of years. So in December 2016, it was widely reported that a cyber attack and hack on Nevada's medical marijuana program database exposed the personal information of around 12,000 medical marijuana dispensary applicants. In January 2017, it was also widely reported that at least 1,000 retail cannabis dispensaries who were using a compliance software company, MJ Freeway, it was reported that the main databases and backups of that compliance software company had been hacked. And this resulted in temporarily stopping the ability for those 1,000 plus businesses to function or do business. In October of 2018, it was widely reported that an online Google search revealed a marijuana dispensary's photos and images that revealed information about their customers. Apparently, there were some significant holes or lack of security controls within their site that allowed such information to be revealed in a simple Google search. In November of 2018, it was widely reported that the Ontario cannabis store suffered a data breach through the purchase delivery contractor of theirs, a third party that they used, called Canada Post, and it involved the information from 4,500 customers. 
In December of 2018, it was reported that a Florida medical marijuana dispensary, AltMed, took down its website after being notified that customer information was viewable through the site's search function. And I could keep going on for at least several dozen more examples from the cannabis industry alone from the past couple of years. What needs to be done to better protect the data that cannabis dispensaries collect, store, and share with others? What needs to be done to better protect the privacy of dispensary patients and customers? Today, I'm so excited to welcome back a truly inspiring and thought-provoking Probably the most knowledgeable person there is when it comes to the marijuana stores and medical cannabis dispensary stores and how they're set up and the related security and privacy, Michelle Dumay. Michelle is the mother of a terminally ill child who was born with a rare brain abnormality that required removal of nearly half of her brain at birth. And Michelle's experience as her daughter's caregiver and medical advocate for more than 1,200 appointments has allowed Michelle to serve on patient advisory councils for two children's hospitals and one insurer. As a trained chemist, Michelle first tried conventional pharma for treatment of her daughter's seizures, but then she tried medical cannabis to help mitigate her seizures. And after some success, Michelle wanted to petition her insurance companies for co-payment. And this brought in issues with not being able to have the medical cannabis dispensaries uh, to be able to uh, subsidize or pay for those types of claims. And also, Michelle found that they were not compliant in the process. So working to solve her own problem and really what's the looming problem of millions of cannabis-using patients, Michelle entered into the world of cannabis governance, risk, and compliance. Michelle was my very first guest on my show almost exactly one year ago. And of my 49 shows that have aired to date, my episode with Michelle has been the most listened to episode. In fact, just earlier this month in January, there were close to 1,000 listens of that very first show from a year ago in just a seven-day period. So, you know, this is a very hot topic. It's something people are concerned with indeed. Michelle, thank you so very much for coming back and being my guest again today. Welcome to my show. Rebecca, it's truly, it's truly an honor. Thank you. Well, I always love talking with you so much about this topic. And, you know, I gave a little bit of your background in the intro, but is there any additional information you'd like to give to our listeners about how you got into the medical cannabis security and privacy work that you're doing? You know, I I could just add to say that um, in the short time that I've uh, been my daughter's caregiver, not only have we had, say, 12 we might be up to 1,600 appointments now. Uh, in that entire time period, she's had somewhere between 32 or 33 medical providers from surgeons, doctors, therapists, 
um, nurse practitioners and nurses. And surprisingly, not one single medical professional um, has been able to actually write a prescription for her medical cannabis. So we, we've come a long way uh, by allowing patients to actually access the medicine, but we've got a long way to go to make it a safe um, access uh, pathway for them. Yes, safe and um, legal too, right? Wherever it's needed. Absolutely. So, still have 17 states that um, have no legal pathway for patients. 17. Yes. Yes, 17. Well, I'm happy to tell you, and you probably, I know you already know this, but here where I'm uh, based in Des Moines, Iowa, Iowa is one of those legal ones. So I've been watching this with interest throughout the last year as they launched and actually opened our first uh, medical cannabis dispensaries throughout the state in uh, December. So it's, uh, it's really interesting to see how that's going. Now, I wanted to ask you, because I think a lot of our listeners don't realize that there is a difference between medical cannabis and what, you know, they see on Cheech and Chong (laughs) movies, you know, the recreational (laughs) or, (laughs) so I wonder at a high level, can you explain what the difference is between medical cannabis and recreational marijuana? Sure. And and a 30,000 foot view, basically the main difference is who can access the cannabis products. So in recreational markets or what we call adult use um, markets, persons generally qualify by age and, and that they have a valid ID. However, in medical use markets, it's patients that have a qualifying condition along with medical professionals that attest this condition, along with paying state fees that allows a patient to access the medicinal cannabis. So for also our listeners, when they heard me describing your background, they might think, well, how could a baby smoke medical cannabis? And I think that's another thing. Maybe if you could just say it's not all about smoking it, right? Absolutely, and that's the, that's my number two question that I'm usually asked. Um, mm-hmm. And just to to be very clear, in actuality, most patients and most adult youth consumers do not actually smoke cannabis. the The preferable methods are methods that include in an edible, in a tincture in an extract form. Um, Some patients are using them as a suppository. Um, We have many patients that uh, are also using the cannabis in a topical form, meaning it's in a patch or it's in a cream or it's in a rub or it's in a salve. Um, So my daughter, who does not eat uh, typically by mouth, but is a G-tube, so she has a, a tube that goes um, straight into her belly, uh, receives her cannabis in a liquid form where I take a dropper and I give a metered dose, much, you know, drop, 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 much, much as you would if you see a chemotherapy patient receiving um, uh, their treatment, the, the drops go into uh, into a tube that goes into a vein. For my daughter, her drops go to in a tu- go into a tube that goes straight into her gastrointestinal tract. Mm. 
and then that and you've seen a lot of uh, benefits with regard to how that has been able to help mitigate Absolutely. or lessen. Great. Absolutely. And to, and to be clear and transparent, we use the cannabis medicines in conjunction with her pharma medicines. We've been able to stop increasing the dosage of her pharma meds by by using the cannabis meds. So, um, as you said, my background is that I have a degree in chemistry, so I'm a little bit versed in the chemistry of, of, of both, um, both medicines, and I use them uh, concurrently. And you use them very knowledgeably then. <laughs> so absolutely, I think that's something, absolutely. too, and very important for people to understand. You you know what you're talking about. You've got a degree in this. So um, I think that's even, great. Um, yeah, let's move on to the, the laws, the related laws and legal mm-hmm. issues, because, oh, my goodness, that's been in the news so much over the uh, past year. And we just talked about, you know, the states where medical yes. cannabis is now legal. I guess if, if there's anything else you want to add to, you know, about how many states that medical cannabis is now legal in and maybe some of the restrictions or requirements beyond what you've told us so far? Well, in, in general, I can say that those really are the restrictions that um, patients are qualifying because of medical condition. Um, there are numerous conditions when you look at the uh, and to be clear, we are now, medical cannabis is now legal in 33 states, Washington, D.C., the U.S. Virgin Islands, which that was just uh, the week before, on January 15th oh. of this year, um, and um, the Northern Mariana Islands also has uh, medical cannabis, as well as Guam and Puerto Rico. So now we have medical um uh, abilities to, uh, or programs rather, in all U.S. territories, 33 U.S. states, 10 states that have a medical and an adult use uh, program. So California, Colorado, let's see, Washington, Nevada, uh, Alaska, uh, Oregon, Massachusetts, Vermont, and Maine. And as of the last elections, um, Michigan is now moving, uh, has, has the laws established for a, an adult use program. Oh, okay. So it, it's moving quickly. And I know talking about, you know, the requirements, that's been, and, and I mentioned, you know, here in Iowa, it became legal. And just this past, in December, the dispensaries opened. Uh, but yes. there's a lot of rules and laws they have here in, in my state about that. Like, it the, the dispensaries themselves, I think, you know, they had to meet very strict requirements for quality and for um, safety and, and especially for, you know, keeping track of, of um, who's getting it and also the requirements for a physician's um, prescription and so on. So there are a lot of things, at least that I've seen locally here, um, that uh, have to be have to be attended to, and in fact, I think I mentioned to you one of the stores that I go to to shop quite often. Across the street from it is where one of those medical cannabis dispensaries is located. <laughs> so I've been watching that store throughout the past year to see how they were doing just with the physical, you know, outside of it. 
Um, sure, and absolutely, Rebecca. And just to be for the listeners um, in the medical cannabis space, this is true in every single jurisdiction. There are uh, numerous um, qualifying conditions that even the applicant to to open a dispensary must fulfill. Uh, I know. Uh, uh, some of even just the laws in which um, states sort of request and dictate and stipulate are, are often numerous. Um, I believe, uh, for example, in Ohio, when it came on uh, came online in 2017, I believe their just their rules alone was a it was either a 39 or a 59 page document just for the rules, mm. and that meant that the applicant had to answer to and explain how they were going to enact all of all of that uh, all of those rules how they're going to fulfill them how they were going to what were their plans for safety what were their plans for tracking of the information um, that was going to be as you said uh, uploaded to to governing and regulating bodies. So there's a lot of compliance, and there are a lot of rules that in every jurisdiction, excuse me, in every jurisdiction um, that they must fulfill. It is really not the days of Cheech and Chong, and it mm-hmm. is not very loosey goosey at all. It's because remember, on a state level, we have programs running, but on a federal level, we have still a period of prohibition. So mm-hmm. states are choosing to be very particular. They're choosing to um, to to legislate a, a lot of compliance around the, the sale uh, of, of medical cannabis. And I think it might be worth pointing out, and I don't know the answer to this question. I know that you, you have much more um, uh, knowledge about this, but it seems like even with all of those rules in all of those different laws, state-level laws, you know, they focus a lot on documentation and they focus on safety and all those which are so important. But it, it just seems to me like I haven't heard that much about secure data security requirements or, um, you know, privacy being addressed within them. And is that what you've seen too, or? You know, Rebecca, you are, you are spot on. And in fact, this is one of the the holes in my heart. Um, because when you think about that, there are already online some three or so million patients using the, the plant, um, as a medicine, meaning they are having to go to a medical dispensary. Every time they go to a dispensary, they are, in some cases, you know, putting their their privacy or their their uh, private health information at risk. Because, uh, as you have you as you have identified, there is a gap in the understanding of what should be included in. In, in security. We all basically understand physical, physical security, meaning uh, the dispensary should be, um, should have physical security, perhaps staff, additional securing staff, videotaping, things of this nature. Um, you should have a limited number of persons that can come in to the dispensary at a time. You should have a space between the front door and the door that is 
uh, the actual door into the dispensary so you have a waiting area. Um, mm-hmm. So there are a lot of rules around physical security, but I am convinced that we have a gap in our understanding of what data security looks like or should look like. Right. You know, I, right after our break, which we need to get to right now, I want to uh, pick up and talk about that and some other issues. So Absolutely. right now, great. Great. Thank you, Michelle. So right now it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. I'm speaking today with Michelle Dumay, cannabis industry privacy and security advocate and consultant. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions that are related to security and privacy using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my PrivacyGuidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. 
Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. I'm speaking today with Michelle Dumay, Cannabis Industry Privacy and Security Advocate and Advisor. So before the break, we were talking about the, the laws and some of the gaps within the laws that are, you know, need to be... Uh, Filled. They need to really close those exposures to some of the security and privacy issues that are involved with the dispensaries. So, uh, Michelle, could you maybe describe to help us, the listeners, see what those gaps might be? Could you describe the typical layout or structure of a few types of medical cannabis stores and dispensaries? Sure, absolutely. So, I'd like to think about it, uh, maybe it's easy to, to visualize this if um, many of us have been into an Apple store, and mm-hmm. we know that sort of Apple aesthetic. It's a very open space. There are tables that have um, any of their Apple products on display. So imagine then that instead of the Apple products that are on display, imagine instead that they are cannabis meds on display, under glass, sometimes under some sort of protective um, covering, but because it is a plant, generally um, patients are encouraged to look at the plant, um, see its beauty, often to experience uh, its terpenes, meaning it has a particular smell. Some smell like lemon, some smell like lavender. They have you know, different profiles. So, but imagine it's that sort of open air apple aesthetic. Then mm-hmm. you often have another type of style, which I kind of imagine it to be close to a jewelry style, a jewelry store style, where you'll have many, many, many products under glass or under a protective covering, but there are large numbers of them in a display case, right? So you're able to walk up to the display case, see the products. That's what I call sort of a jewelry store style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sometimes there are more where the the style is as if you're sort of thrown back to the to the fifteenth and sixteenth century of an apothecary where you'll have oh. large jars of the cannabis flower um, dried uh, in, in vessels that you can, in which you can look into, right? Oh, and wow. so you, so it's very um, old world, and allows the patient to to see on display, on vivid display, many many types of of the cannabis flower and the cannabis product. And then the fourth type is some sort of combination. Maybe it's a a waiting area when you enter into the dispensary, a waiting area, and then you are let into the more of the showroom area, which has one of those different styles. Oh, wow. So that's, I mean, I'm seeing this in my mind. You described that so well. As you're describing it, I'm thinking also, um, 
like a jewelry store, there's there's video camera, right? Uh, some sort of surveillance. Absolutely. <laughs> so typically, most of those, even if they're from like um, the the early days back in the old style apothecaries, they would still likely have some sort of video or audio surveillance within them. Sure. So at this point, most state regulations are requiring that any dispenser, medical, or adult use have video surveillance. Interesting. Well, can you give us an example of a state and, you know, maybe kind of walk through an, a, an experience uh, that that our listeners might have if they went to that state and, you know, wanted to get medical cannabis? And one better, Rebecca, I'd like to give an example of how a patient might have their, how their, how many different times or ways their PHI, um, their private health information might be handled, used, or recorded. So let's go to, let's go to to a real example. Let's go back to Ohio. Let's go to Ohio's um, rules. Let's go to 2017 and let's pretend that we are a patient um, that needs to go to the dispensary. So I'm, I'm going to make myself the patient in this example. I'm, I'm a war vet and I'm suffering from the qualifying condition of both PTSD, but also I um, am recovering from um, breast cancer. So remember, medical states have medical qualifications. So I've met the medical qualification, and I have applied to the state for my Ohio Medical Marijuana Control Program card, my OMMCP card. And I've arrived at the dispensary, and I'm going to present my card and my driver's license to the employee at this dispensary. So on my card, I have my name, my full name, a photo, my date of birth, my address, and my OMMCP ID number. By the way... Those are all private health information, bits of private health information. So I've got one, two, three, four, five pieces of PHI right there on this Mm -hmm. card. Now, I'm going to go to the nurse practitioner inside of the, the dispensary, and I'm new to the dispensary, so they're going to ask me to complete a profile, which Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to detail my health information and my medical history. Two more pieces of PHI. I'm going to have to um, have counseling. This is Ohio statute. The the nurse practitioner is going to have to give me counseling. That is healthcare counseling, which means we've now had the exchange between a healthcare practitioner and a patient, right? Mm-hmm. So. Or it could be a pharmacist. In Ohio, they stipulated it was a nurse practitioner or a pharmacist. Okay. Uh, she's taking in my information. I'm talking to her about when I first had um, cancer treatment, who my physicians were, um, what, uh, where am I now in my status, am I in remission, am I active. I'm giving her my health history, right? 
and the nurse pra- nurse practitioner is making sure that she's doing her due diligence, knowing, finding out that I have, I'm making an informed decision about the use of medical cannabis for my cancer and for my PTSD. So the nurse then um, confirms that they, in fact, have products in that would help me alleviate my ailment, my sickness, my PTSD, whatever the two that I'm trying to treat, right? And she's going to make sure that the supply does not exceed a 90-day supply. So in the state of Ohio, you're allowed to have a 90-day supply. Um, Sometimes states stipulate the amount of uh, cannabis product that a patient can at one time purchase. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's per time period. Every 90 days, every 15 days, the maximum you can purchase. In some states, it tells you how many ounces you can purchase per day. In Ohio, it's not to exceed a 90-day supply. So now we're going to go and... Uh, she's entering the information into the dispensary's internal inventory system, right? Because we've Mm -hmm. got to figure out, we've got to track what it is that I am purchasing. So she has to enter that information. So namely, she's Mm -hmm. going to enter the Board of Pharmacy's dispensary certificate, the operation Mm -hmm. number, the dispensary name, the address, the telephone number, the date the medical marijuana was dispensed, the order number, the quantity, the day supply, the product identifier, the payment code, and the name of the brand, sorry, the the brand name of the medical cannabis that I'm choosing. Wow. So I've been, I've been, had my hands here and my fingers going as you're going through that. So I got up to at least 20 different types of health information items that you just listed in the past couple of minutes, right? That is correct. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's just for the intake process. Now in Ohio, because the patient has a card, the patient has a recommendation from the physician as well. And on that physician's recommendation, because, again, just to be, it's, I know it's a, a hair, but you, you cannot prescribe a federally scheduled, scheduled one substance. You can only make a recommendation for its use. So on this, this physician's recommendation that I use, the cannabis mm-hmm. is my patient's name, my patient address, my telephone number, my date of birth, my qualifying condition, my driver's license, or my passport number, my patient board of pharmacy registration number, the physician who recommended their name, their DA number, the medical license number, the certificate to remit, to recommend number, the address, telephone number, and email address, the recommendation date, and gosh, um, the date when it, uh, the recommendation was issued. Oh, wow. So that. we're over 30 different types of information now. Yes, ma'am. And so <laughs> I haven't even checked out yet. <laughs> and you haven't even checked out. Oh, gosh. Go ahead. I'm still doing my math here. So, yeah, please okay. continue. <laughs> so I'm going to check out now. Okay. And the transaction in the the point of sale system, right? the tracking system mm-hmm. that updates every five minutes in the case of Ohio is going to send 
20 or so of those data points, my name, my address, my telephone number, my date of birth, my recommendation date, the number of the refill, let's see what else, the, um, the date that it was being dispensed, the order number, or I think it's a serial number of the, of the product, the product identifier, the date the recommendation was issued, the payment information, and the name. All of that and is it transmitted at checkout. And transmitted to where? To the, the to to the governing body. So it goes in, oh. in the case of Ohio, it goes back to the board of pharmacy. Holy cow. So and so you're checking out and you know at the beginning of the show I was talking about uh, the point of sale uh, and yeah. some of the different systems yeah. that are connected and automatically send information. So that's the kind of information then that I gave in the example yeah. at the beginning. Wow. Okay. And, and, and one other thing for Ohio. Mm-hmm. I would stand at the POS. They would take my picture. Really? So they take your photo at, the, at that point in time. Ohio, Ohio stipulates that the picture is taken. Well, that's very, and is this just to make sure that the person who is purchasing it is actually the same person that, you know, was um, given the approval? Interesting. Okay. So you have all of this, and and imagine all those times I was listing this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. This is for every single transaction, every single time, every single purchase, for every single med. Oh, wow. And that's... and that's in Ohio. I mean, this is just in Ohio. Yeah. All those other states and territories have their own similar. additional types of requirements. Similar. Similar requirements similar. in that there's this very, um, very particular way in which inform- there's a very particular amount of information that is taken from the transaction. It includes generally if not all of that PHI, then certainly some of those pieces. Every time I go to the dispensary to um, to purchase for my daughter, uh, I know that, one, I'm being recorded. I know that I have to present her cannabis card. Um, because she's a minor, I must present my cannabis caregiver card to, pur- to make purchases for her. Uh, our dispensary is such that our dispensary system is such that we enter into the dispensary and we are, there's a space between the check-in area and then the actual dispensary where we can go inside and, and make the purchases. But all the time, I'm holding the, the cannabis card so that I can make the purchase, I mean, uh, shop, then get to the end, make the purchase, then they verify that I am that person. They then check to make sure the card is, is current. Again, they're checking when I come inside in the beginning and they're at the point of the purchase. They're making sure it's like a double check, right? So like a, a, a double uh, uh, authentication, a two-factor dispensary authentication, I like to call it. And so, yes, it is not the Cheech and Chong's of days gone by. It really is that there's this body of private health information that is constantly being interacted, transferred, manipulated, used, accessed, and sadly... As you open with the show, there have been quite a few breaches because, again, the understanding is not there that this is data. It must be protected. 
Oh, yeah. Well, from what, and what you're describing, too, so the dispensary, they have all of this data stored somewhere, and it's likely that in some of those, like you mentioned, that were kind of old style, they might have hard copy print information in, additional, in addition to digital, and then you have the state uh, oversight agencies, the governing agencies that then have information that's sent to them and in your case you have not only your information but your daughter's information the, the information of a child or a minor so as you're going through this in my mind I'm thinking is the data encrypted how are they controlling access to the data that they're collecting in the dispensary who are they sharing that with if they have the third-party vendors how's the state oversight agency protecting that data you know um wow there's a lot of there's a lot of vulnerable points there in that flow of data correct there are a lot of vulnerable points and i just want to be really clear and transparent about the example about the apothecary that's the way it visually looks but those 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 dispensers who have the apothecary style are still required to have that sophisticated sort of technical tracking of information uh, only in the case of the breakdown for example in your opening comments you spoke about when 1000 dispensers or more than were vulnerable because there was a hack in those days, then yes, I know for a fact that some of the dispensers were using paper, pen, pencil, uh, Excel spreadsheets, um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, legal pads to track. But in general, they do not use paper, pencil, legal pads to track because it's too nefarious, you know, that data can go anywhere. They, they understand that, but they don't understand the other, the other requirements such as encryption, two-factor authentication, um, permitting only certain employees to have access to, to, the, to the patient data. So, for example, the person who's doing the intake should see my patient data because she needs to check my card and go and make the, state, make the system go check the state system to see if I'm a registered caregiver. Mm-hmm. But the person who's bringing the product in from into the store who's stocking the shelves doesn't need access to that. But not all dispensaries right. have that as an understanding, right? So we're, we're learning, we're growing, but we still have gaps. And as you so aptly um, mentioned in the opening, we, we have big gaps. We have breaches. Oh, it Sometimes. sounds like there would be big yeah, it, it sounds like there would be big gaps, especially if those laws that are so detailed for other things just aren't being, uh, aren't addressing security and privacy in addition to safety and, and all these other documentation types of things. Um, there, are, there, are, there are a few vendors that are coming online that understand that the point-of-sale systems should be HIPAA-compliant. They do have mm-hmm. an understanding there are good players in the, in the space, but mm-hmm. there are more players that, don't un- that, that build software that don't have that understanding. Ah, yes, yeah. Well, you know, we see that, too. I mean, I've been in the, the security and privacy business since I, my entire career, and there's still people or there's still businesses that still do not implement proper security and privacy, and they're an even highly regulated um, 
industries that have such yeah. security and privacy. So, yeah, it, it's just an ongoing problem. Um, so with regard then to this, are, are there any other points you'd like to make about the, the Ohio scenario that, that we haven't covered yet? Maybe with uh, no, this Go ahead. I, I, I think we're pretty clear that there were some there are some some gaps in understanding and um, I, I hope that we can close those gaps, but there are some gaps in understanding, at least when they wrote wrote their rules uh, two years ago. So, you know, a lot of these stores, I mean, besides having the medical cannabis that's yes. legal now, and, and but we also have what you call the adult use, which does not, yes. uh, it does not have to require a prescription or a recommendation, I guess. We won't call it a, um, a, a prescription, but are those two things, are those two types of stores, uh, are they sometimes the same business? I mean, the same place you can get adult use where you can also get the medical cannabis? Absolutely. So um, we see, for example, in Colorado, you can per- you can make a medical purchase and an adult use purchase in the same, um, in the same, inside of the same building. But generally what happens in Colorado is if you have a dual license, then recreational products maybe go on one side of the store and those pay- those consumers go there and then patients go to another side of the store and they complete their transactions. And they have sometimes a little bit different type of, of, of medicine. Uh, in the case of, say, um, I believe Oregon, the think of when you go to the mall and you go to the food court and you might rise up the elevator and you get to the to the open space of the food court and there's a pizza place and then there's a Chinese store, right? Ch- Chinese restaurant. And all of you are getting off the elevator, the escalator, and you're just going where it is that you want to go to. And the person behind you or in front of you could be a medical patient or an adult use consumer. You all go to the same counter, you look at the same sort of things, but your checkout is different. So a medical patient in in Oregon is able to have a different tax rate and if they are purchasing a product with THC they have a different allotment of THC products that they can purchase. Oh, wow. So everybody's just kind of there. (laughs) They can see each other. In in some entities, everybody is kind of there, and you are without privacy, and you are, you know, Rebecca, you're just exposed. Yes. You're just exposed. At least when you're in a, a clinic or a hospital, you don't have the the doctor coming out and asking you these questions in front of everybody. So uh, you know, it's uh, there. It sounds like they maybe could be overhearing what others are saying. Um, bef- you know, I can't believe it. We're already getting so close to the end of our show. I I want to. We're going to have to have you on again because there's so much more that I want to talk about with you about sure. specific 
specific things that you know these dispensaries can do but you know uh for our listeners last year michelle and i worked together and we created a medical cannabis security and privacy evaluation to help um these types of organizations to know where their risk um areas are and to give them some recommendations based upon their answers and it's free so michelle do you want to give that uh url where the listeners can go to get that so it's uh, let's see https for security Mm -hmm. colon forward slash forward slash Symbus, S-I-M-B-U-S, 360.com, forward slash, cannabis, forward slash. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, And also for my listeners, I will put that URL in the description of the show as well. So you will have that. And what Michelle and I will do is um, that you, you know, when you take that, it's free. You don't have to give what your name is. So we aren't, you know, collecting that. We aren't requiring um, that uh, you provide that type of information. Uh, But, you know, that's something that uh, I think we might ask for the email. Um, I need to check on that uh, just so we can send you like a copy of the the report when it's finished and so on. But we we are addressing the the privacy issues for sure. But uh, Michelle, we we in maybe just the last 30 seconds or minute, is there a key point you want to make about what we discussed today? And then maybe you and I can get into some more details at another time. Sure. And in truth, Cannabis patients and consumers are just like any other patient or consumer that we want protection of the privacy and protection of our information. So the thinking has to change in the industry and the recognition that that is what is going to grow the industry has to be, uh, has to be clearly understood if we're going to move forward. Very well put. I think. Thank you for that so much. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Michelle, and I look forward to having you on again sometime soon. Absolutely. So today I've been speaking with Michelle Dumay. Um, Michelle is a medical cannabis and cannabis industry privacy and security um, advocate and advisor please send us some feedback about this show send me an email would you like to hear more about this topic just let me know do you have another topic on security or privacy to suggest i cover um let me know that as well you can contact me by using my email address rebecca harold at rebeccaherald.com please tune into the show each week If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will always be able to listen to the recordings. And you can find the recordings of all my past shows on all those different apps that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. In addition to, of course, the VoiceAmerica.com business channel website. So I urge you all to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work, or 
encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and who you work for, are they doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them? Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.